my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. In just a second, I'm going to talk about how you can actually make more money. Coming up later, though, if you own a home with your mortgage, likely you have a junk fee. But I want to talk to you about the process potentially, for getting rid of that junk fee if you've been in your home a while. Right now, though, making more money. So there's a change that's happened in the United States that is significant. Through most of American history since the Civil War, Americans routinely would uproot and move somewhere else in the United States for better opportunity. It was just what people did. When I started working for IBM in graduate school, I remember one of the first briefings we had was about how if you became a career person at IBM, that you had to be prepared to move every three to five years. And if that wasn't your thing, then it probably wasn't your company that you wanted to be at. It was just part of American culture that you did relocation a lot. I mean, it's called corporate relo used to be a big part of the real estate market as people would move around the country and there would be corporate relo specialists that would handle getting the mover to your house and help you sell your own house and help you find your new home wherever you moved. But today, people just aren't into moving. And the number of reloads is way down in the United States. And census data shows that. And a lot of it is because people's priorities have changed. And there are two big demographic factors that have changed it. One is that Women, in many cases, may be further along in their career than their partner or husband. And so the career choice of moving when one or the other gets a promotion opportunity or the possibility of a job somewhere else, because of the trailing spouse, what happens with him or her, that's really been the, one of the big breaks on getting people to move one place to another. The other factor is the way parents relate to their kids, is that it was just part of the deal that kids never completely unboxed everything they had because they might be moving somewhere else in the country before you knew it. Now, parents in huge numbers say, you know what, we're not going to disrupt our kids. They really fit well at the school they're in or they're enjoying playing baseball in this league or whatever. So people's family priorities have changed. So what it's created is a distortion in the marketplace where people who are footloose and fancy free, people who are in a position to relocate, maybe you're a renter, you don't have to worry about selling a house, maybe you're single, you have no kids. If you are willing to move your career can advance much quicker than people who can't move or choose not to move. Because 
when you're willing to relocate from one place to another to another, your career can accelerate because you're able to, instead of having your potential job market being just where you live, you bring the whole country into the mix, you change everything. And right now, with so much job opportunity out there, being willing to move really makes a big, big difference. A friend of mine is a, a TV producer who did a story about people who've been relocating around the country chasing oil industry jobs and what it's done for their income, but also the hardships it's created on personal life. But on the income side, let me tell you, you chase the jobs, the dollars follow. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dave. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You want to talk about no-hassle, no-haggle car buying. That's right. You I buying a, new or used? Well, I don't know. I have a 2006 car with about 170,000 miles on it. It's paid off. I really like the current payment. It doesn't cost me a whole lot in maintenance, but that seems to be increasing over the years. And so before I start looking, I, I wanted to kind of focus on which dealers are likely to treat me the best. I wouldn't say dealers. I would say process that you buy a car. The customer satisfaction with people that buy cars through True Car or USAA, people that are insured by USAA, people who buy a car through the Costco car buying program, which Costco has become now the equivalent of the number one car dealer in the country. They deliver more cars than any dealership chain in the country now. Interesting. Because with these car buying programs, you ever looked at truecar.com? I have not. It's a brilliant platform for buying. This is all about new cars, but it's a brilliant platform for buying a new car that they go out, they survey the market, you know, they have the, the algorithms to do so, they tell you what the average price paid in the market is, what's a good price, and what price True Car has been able to negotiate with car dealers near you. And then they generally give you three car dealers that you can pick among to buy that car that you're interested in buying at the price they've already established for you. Okay. The Costco program, and by the way, USAA's program works almost identically because behind the scenes, a lot of the work is done for them by True Car. But okay. the USAA prices tend to be, in many cases, a little cheaper. So USAA members get an advantage. And then the Costco program, what they do is they negotiate with a particular dealer for each brand in your area, and they negotiate what that price is going to be for you. And so okay. these programs, I would say they are not necessarily the absolute lowest price that somebody who is a great skilled negotiator would get on a car, but they sure are close. But they eliminate yeah, and I, 100% of the hassle. Okay, and I don't think I'm a skilled negotiator in that realm. <laughs> so I'm looking for that type of assistance. Well, these buying systems have changed car buying. And that's why people are piling into them in such massive numbers, because, you know, the no hassle, no haggle has taken so much of the anxiety out of car buying. 
Uh, what are the odds you'd buy used instead of new? Probably 50-50. I, you know, I think moving to a upper scale brand, I think it would increase the odds of going used versus a, a more generic American produced vehicle. I'd say that it would probably be new. The the place that has done the best job eliminating the hassle out of buying a used car is the car chain CarMax. If you've heard of them. Yes, I have. And theirs is a no hassle, no haggle process. Very clean. Over the years CarMax has existed, the number of complaints I've had about them I could count on one hand. They've done a very, very good job of serving people. And I don't think there's any question that eventually, kicking and screaming, the car business, both new and used, is going to move to the no-hassle, no-haggle kind of way of doing business. But if you do buy used, no matter what, Dave, you buy in a certified car program, anything like that, you got to have that used car inspected by a mechanic of your choosing because you never know the history of a used car. Sally's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sally. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Sally. You're starting your own business? Well, I'm thinking about it. (laughs) It's kind of a big step, but um, I'm kind of looking through everything to start one. And actually, even on the the SBA website now, but I've heard you talk before to different people thinking about starting a business. And one of the things I heard you talk about were locally owned banks or credit unions versus kind of the bigger banks. Um, yeah, I mean the big banks, the big banks are a waste of your time mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur. They're okay. really a big waste of your time till a business you're operating, let's say you hit it big and you're generating hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue. The big banks don't even become worth looking at till revenue goes past a couple of billion dollars a year. They are so wired to only adequately serve the very largest enterprises that why would you beat your head against the wall? Right, right. So my question is this, as far as the credit union goes, do you have to be a member of some kind of an organization? I feel like a lot of the credit unions, you have to be in the military or... You right. know, a teacher or in the you know hospital or something like that. Are there credit unions where you do not have to have that kind of an affiliation? Absolutely, and they're what are known as community credit unions. Where okay. simply by living in the service territory of the credit union, you're eligible for membership. Uh, generally, okay. zip code based, where you can become a member, and okay. that <laughs> definition of membership came about because of congressional action many years ago after a Supreme Court decision essentially shut down Americans' access to credit unions. Oh, I see. So the thing is, though, as a business owner, a would-be business owner, credit unions limit how much lending they do to businesses. So you'd have to go in and basically find out, are they in a position to serve you with your business? Otherwise, you would be looking at a small local community bank. And that's the other part of the question. I have a personal account with a bank that was a small local bank started by some people I even like knew and it had about three branches. And then last year, they were bought out by a bigger bank. 
And, you know, it's it's kind of one of those situations where I'm almost concerned about a smaller local bank. How often do they get kind of gobbled up by bigger banks or how would that impact me if I did have already a business? Well, generally, uh, the it's, it's almost automatic that the larger a bank, the worse the service you get, particularly as a small business owner. Sure. So that okay. is a real concern. And uh, my wife had her business account with a small local bank that was bought up by a regional bank and the service quality went down within months and she bailed on that bank because it it did decline so rapidly so if somebody buys them and it stays where they're really focused on the customer and they take good care of you you stay with them on the other hand if they really become the rotten egg you fire them and go somewhere else there's no crime in that when a bank isn't serving you well, that you kick them to the curb, particularly as a business owner, you got to do that. Joan joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Joan, you want to talk 529 plans? I do. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Great to have you here. Thank you for your service, Clark. I am absolutely addicted to your podcast, and I'm hoping that my young children are absorbing them. Yeah, you know, it, that's not cruel to children, making them listen to me. <laughs> I trap them in the car and I listen to them at 1.5 speed. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So we get, you know, 50% more than we would normally have time for. Okay. (laughs) Well, you know, I talk slowly, so that probably works fine. Oh, you articulate really well and I can completely understand you. It's great. Thank you. So how old are your kids? They are five and two. And and are they already brilliant, clearly? Of course, yes. Okay. (laughs) They are, and I'm really hoping that they'll have scholarships and other ways to pay for college. And, you know, I have some concerns. First of all, my husband and I got started retirement saving late in life because we didn't get married till we were 35 and 45. So that's our first priority. Was it, wasn't it you that says uh, there's many ways to pay for college, but only one way to pay for retirement? That is exactly right. <laughs> and if you're not yep. saving the max that you and your husband can save for retirement... I would tell you not to put one penny in the two kids' 529 plans. Should we catch up? Because we were able to do that this year. We were able to max out an IRA for each of us. But I wonder if we should be also doing some other investments instead of the college savings. Well, do either of you have a retirement plan at work? Um, Small ones. I do not. But my husband has a small pension from his But no 401k is at work. No. All right. So then doing the um, $5,500 each and the Roth would be absolute max first priority for each of you. You're saving money for retirement. But if you do 529 plans, there are certain things that you want to look for. Number one, plans have to be sponsored by a state. And I have a guide of the best state plans in the country And if you go to Clark.com and you look at my plan guide, if your home state isn't on my uh, dean's list with high honors or honor roll, then don't go in your state plan and pick one of the ones that's on the dean's list with high honors. So, Clark, we did that and chose one of them off your list. And I wondered, because I like to keep things simple, if I could do one... 529 for both kids. No, you have to do one for each child. 
You can eventually, yeah. if one of your two decides not to go to college or scholarships out, you can move the money tax and penalty free to the other child's benefit. So one child couldn't say use half of it, and then you shift the beneficiary. Yes, you could. Half. Yes, you could. It's just they each have to have their own account. But you could, if one kid only needs part of the money, you could then transfer the rest eventually to the other child. You just change the beneficiary designation on the account. One other thing I wanted to say about the 529 accounts, Joan, for you and other parents, is the smartest choice of how to put the money to work is in the age-based portfolio where the investments become steadily more conservative the closer your child gets to college age. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Somebody taking advantage of you, you got a question, you got a problem, you don't know where to turn, who to talk to. Well, we're here to serve you off the air over 40 hours each week. You can talk with a member of Team Clark for free. It's something we've been at for 26 years now, providing free off-the-air advice. You scroll down a little on Clark.com, you'll see the number and hours available for free off-the-air advice. I have had, with the run-up in home values over the last several years, I've had a steady increase in questions about how to dump PMI, private mortgage insurance. And there's a lot of confusion in this area because lenders and loan servicers want you to be confused. They don't want you to be able to save all that money you can save if you're able to dump PMI. PMI, private mortgage insurance, is something that you're required to have in most mortgages if you're putting down less than 20% of the purchase price of a home. But if the home as has in many zip codes in the country, if your home has increased substantially in value, you are allowed to cancel PMI once you have 20% equity in your home. The lender often will tell you, no, they don't know anything about that. No, what are you talking about? Well, uh, no, because everybody's trained to mislead you at all the banks about getting rid of PMI. But you have the right to do so on most loans. So it's really simple what you have to do. If you know that home values in your neighborhood have escalated quite nicely and you've been making all your payments on time at least for the last year, you're able to do what's called a praise out from PMI. And depending on your loan, This could be a substantial amount of money that you would save every month for the life of the remainder of your loan. So appraising out, what does that mean? The lender has to give you a list of approved appraisers. You can't just go hire any appraiser. You have to have it from your lender. But you've got to compel them to give it to you. You might even have to send them a demand letter because the banks are so hostile to you being able to remove PMI from your loan. It's worth it to push through the bureaucratic blockade at the bank and go through the process. If you know home values have escalated around you, 
to hire one of their appraisers, pay the money for it, which will be several hundred dollars, get that appraisal, and then petition to remove your PMI. And it's a great thing to do that because it will mean so much more money stays in your pocket every single month. Now, the question I had just two weeks ago concerned someone who had an FHA loan. And as I said at the time, with FHA loans, for almost all FHA borrowers, their equivalent of PMI, which is uh, MIP, you're stuck with for the life of the loan. There's a very small number of people with an FHA loan, those who put down a substantial down payment that are eligible to remove MIP from their loan. We have a new simplified guide to explain the steps to you for both types of loans, a conventional loan and an FHA loan at Clark.com. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. How are you today? Hey, great, Clark. It's good to talk to you. I think you're the first person I've ever spoken to who has her own Wikipedia page, so it's, a, it's an honor to talk to you. <laughs> but is it accurate? I, I, I don't know, but it looks good. It all looks good, though. Oh, good. So uh, I've heard you talk about the uh, how you enjoy being a landlord, and I'm uh, looking to buy a house here in the next year. I currently own a condo that's paid off, and um, the association I'm the original owner lets me um, rent it out if I wanted to. So just kind of toying with that, whether I want to rent this out or uh, sell it. So I just wanted to run some numbers by you, whether you, you think it's worthwhile. I've kind of crunched what the HOAPs insurance, a property management company would cost. I would probably make about... $500 a month. It, that would just be like an extra $500 a month I need. I wouldn't really be counting on it. I guess the only other thing to consider is for my home, I would be having to borrow about 175 to 200000 I do have the 20% payment saved already to avoid, the, I think, the PMI, but I uh, could you know, put the 100000 just toward the house payment and have that much less of a of a loan also. So well, let me tell you, let me tell you how I, I go through the process as I think mentally, is this a good idea or not? And I have three rental properties right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm really into it. I don't have as many as I used to, but I still have the three and, and they make money. You know, they just print money. And mm -hmm. here you are from the beginning where you'll clear 500 bucks a month. And that's the beginning because over time, you end up with inflation carrying rents higher ultimately, not necessarily each year, but over time. But your costs stay contained in a pretty tight zone and ultimately you end up with your tenants paying off the remaining mortgage balance. And then there you are. You just have something that is almost like your own separate retirement fund. Hmm. So from the standpoint of just dollars and cents, and the fact that you can make money from the get-go is a real incentive to consider being a landlord. But that's only one factor. Let me hit you with two more, okay? Hmm? Yep. Next one is you have to be someone who has the personality to be a landlord. And by that I mean if somebody's not paying you, are you going to lose sleep over having to evict them? Mm-hmm. And if somebody calls you and says hey, the stove's not working and you're having to deal with getting the stove repaired or replaced. I mean, like, for you, are those hurdles 
that as a lifestyle and personal choice are more than you want to deal with mm-hmm. and meeting people and showing them the place and all that if you're if you're fine with all that then i say be neat for you to be a landlord because the finances work mm. all right then there's another factor and usually when i talk about rental homes i talk about neighborhood in a condo i talk about the association is the condo healthy or things going well there yes mm-hmm. in a good area of town and you know, like the neighbors it seems to have good quality to the the home ownership base yeah, yeah. So that would make it a really good idea for you to be a landlord. Mm-hmm. So in now, your case, the only real test is for you as a person, do you want to do it? Mm-hmm. Now, I will, I will be probably moving a couple hours away, so I would have a property management company run it. Does that, does that affect your... That eats up some of your profit, but since you mm-hmm. have a meaningful profit to start with, you'll be fine, and that will eliminate some of the hassle. It makes it a little bit more like owning a stock or bond. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's the worst that happens? You decide after a year or two, what was I thinking, and then you sell it. True. Okay. Well, great. That sounds like great advice. Well... I hope that being a landlord is as good for you as it has been for me. I've had, over the years, I've been a landlord. I've only had one bad experience with a tenant, like really, really bad experience, once in 32 years. Brad is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brad. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You got a what if for me, I guess we could say. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a, a credit score question, and it's because my credit score is right. I have really good credit, but I've been trying to break that 800 barrier for a long time and finally got to 803. Well, the reason I got to 803, it used to go up about one point every three months, and it took forever to get from the 790s into that territory. All of a sudden, last month, it jumps to 803. So wait, wait, wait. Were you the guy in the class who used to get a 97 on an exam and you were like, why didn't I get a 99 (laughs) or an 100? I'm that guy. Yes, I am. And my wife reminds me of that every day. So I was the guy in school that if I saw I passed, I was happy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I can be that way. (laughs) So being that way, I start researching this and thinking, you know, I don't want that to drop below eight anymore. I want to. I got it there. I want to keep it there. So I'm thinking, and we're thinking about purchasing a new home, selling our house, purchasing a new home. And I got to thinking the reason it, dro- it went up is the same reason it'll come down. If I get a hard inquiry on my credit, it's going to probably drop by the same amount that it went up. Yeah, by about a dozen points, typically. Yeah, yeah. And so, if and then I thought, well, this might pertain to people who are also right on that line. Is it possible to go to a lender and say, I need to borrow some money to do whatever, buy, you know, buy a car, buy a house, whatever, but I don't want you to do a hard inquiry on my credit report. I can get you the exact same report, a FICO 4, a FICO 8, a FICO 2, whatever you want, and I'll do it right here in your office. I'll get on your computer, or you can get on the computer. You can pull it up. I'll even give you a copy of the report, but don't do a hard inquiry and use that report 
then to base your decision on. Is they won't possible? do it. Okay. It's not going to happen. But They won't or they can't? They won't. I don't know if there's a can't to it, but, you know, banks are very, very process and rule-oriented. Yeah, I knew the regulations would probably. I figured that might. I don't think there's any regulation, you know, because when you say regulation, that would be mean it's a governmental thing. Yeah. But it is a it is a process, a rule thing that they have to pull the trade line report. And many times a lender will use a customized report that's done right. for them. They'll be a, different than a consumer version. But mm-hmm. but as far as if you drop from an 803 to a 791, it's going to make no difference what mortgage loan you can get. But okay. if you want to get closer to 850, and one of our staffers was telling me yesterday that both he and his wife have perfect 850s right now. Wow. And the key to having an 850 is for you to have 5% utilization on your credit cards. Okay. 5% or less. Right now. Your yeah, what? Mine's 19. Mine's 19 right so now. So if you drop that from 19 down, that's what's going to get you the max points. And don't worry so much about a 12-point drop for a credit app. If you want the absolute best score, you want to be at top of the heap, you get your utilization of credit cards way, way, way down. Did I ever get 100 on anything in school? Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Uh, you, We're going to talk about one of my favorite companies, Amica Mutual, doing something that is not my favorite at all. What is it that they have asked of you? Yeah, I, uh, I just switched from one of the big U.S. insurance providers for auto, home, and umbrella insurance to Amica. And uh, in reviewing their auto policy application, I found that they've got an arbitration agreement for uninsured uh, motorist coverage. And I know what your thoughts are on arbitration agreements, and uh, I'm very suspicious, but... Is this standard practice with auto insurance providers? I was with my former provider for 20 years, and I haven't shopped around until uh, listening to your show. And I uh, just want to find out if this is normal, and what if I don't sign it? Well, it's up to each organization. If you don't agree to arbitration, if they choose to throw you out of the organization, in this case because you're an owner of it, they would, they would throw you out completely. Or if they say, okay, well, then you're not agreeing to arbitration, so if you want to get involved in a lawsuit, you still can. So it's up to them with how they offer the arbitration. See, I have no problem with arbitration if it was a choice. But I have a terrible problem with arbitration when it's imposed on you, and in almost all cases, the company is picking the arbitrator, and the arbitrator only keeps working for that company if they find for that company uh, essentially 100% of the time. So I despise arbitration, and I hate that that a great company like Amica Mutual would be saying, hey, that's our deal. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to see that, and uh, I, I fortunately, knock on wood, I've never had to uh, use any of my insurance uh, in the last 20 years, and I hope that I don't have to. Well, but if you ever do, I'll tell you, you'll be really happy that you were such a great organization like Amica. Why they would put in uh, one of those lousy, stinking, rotten arbitration clauses, 
I'm clueless. Maybe we'll hear from them. Akbar is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Well, it's great to have you here. You have a question for me about your kids. Yes, Clark. I've been listening to you for a long time. I've got uh, four cars. Um, all four are paid off, but I have a 24-year-old son and an 18-year-old son. The 24-year-old's got his first job doing well. The 18-year-old is doing finance at a university in Florida. So all these four cars are in my name, Clark. So isn't it a good idea to transfer these titles out to, to my boys? I could see you if you wanted to transfer one to the 24-year-old. That would be that would be fine to do. How much is the car worth? Um, it's a 2014 Nissan Sentra, so about fifteen thousand dollars, Clark. Okay, because as long as it's under fourteen thousand for fair market value, there's no problem at all with you. Um, it would be a sale, you know. You re- it's a, basically a zero dollar sale that you retitle to your 24 year old, and then that would be your uh, your son's car. Is for the eighteen year old. I don't know that I would do that. You might really cause him a problem with auto insurance if you were to transfer it to him. And you is he living within one hundred miles of home? Uh, yes, Clark. He goes to the university in Orlando itself. Oh, UCF. Yes, he goes to UCF. Some people say that's the largest university now in the United States. I don't know if that's true or not. You got to see it, Clark. It's mind-boggling. Oh, I've spoken at UCF. I'm familiar. So for the 18-year-old, you will almost certainly have continued liability even if you transfer the ownership of the car to him. There's not going to be a benefit with the 24-year-old who's on his own and all that. Him owning the Nissan Sentra, that's a great idea. But for the 18-year-old, I don't see any advantage. Thank you, Clark. Thank you very much. And uh, continued success to your kids. Thank you, Clark. They're doing well, Clark. Thank you very much. I'm so glad. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.